Sam Davis. Oh, it was risky, and he needs to get back, and he's been seen off. They really might regret it now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shaky Sports Journeys. Um, I've decided to take a plunge back into the sport that they play with a, a funny-shaped, egg-shaped ball. Uh, no disrespect intended to all you rugby fans out there. Um, I am joined today by class, ex-Glasgow Warriors and Scotland internationalist rugby player as well. I'm joined by Adam Ash. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I've had a busy day. Uh, it's been it's been good fun. A bit of training this morning and uh, a few calls this afternoon. Believe it or not, this is the third podcast interview I've done today, so I've been a busy boy. But I'm enjoying it. This is the part of the the job that I like, so uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. Mate, even I've not done three in one day, so that's uh, I wouldn't have known you. Look, you're still looking energetic. Uh, well, what I will say is, I hope this is the best podcast of all three. Um, but that's 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 good going, mate. That's good going. I've done two in one day, and I was I was pretty pretty tired. But yeah, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Maybe you should come over on this side and and be maybe podcasting your podcasting your game, mate. Um, well, it's funny. It's funny. I, I do. It's this. I enjoy this kind of thing. So I find that it energizes me more than it. Like there's certain things that I could do during the day that I would just find sap the energy out of me, but conversations with people especially people that you know you obviously don't know too well and you know you, you have a chat you get to know each other I find it really enjoyable so hey today's been a good day good man good to know good to know so going to always say this people are probably get get bored of hearing the first line but it's, it's, it's the way you've got to say it. I'm going to take you all the way back to the start um you're a you're a you're a, you're a fellow Glasgow boy which is a uh, very refreshing you know, it's good that I speak to too many of these boys from the East Coast. You know, it's, it's nice to have a, a man from the West on. Um, you were born 24th of July, 1993. Whenever I see 93, it makes me feel very old, mate. You know, just a, just a, just a puppy. Um, whereabouts, in, uh, whereabouts in Glasgow uh, did you grow up? Um, and tell me a wee bit about your, your childhood, your family background, etc. Aye, no problem. Uh, I'm going to ruin it for you. I was actually, I was, I, I grew up um, just outside Stirling. So, I mean, it's it's central sort of west, so we can call it Glasgow. Yeah, let's uh, call it Glasgow for this for the purpose of this podcast. But basically, you're you're sitting on the fence there. I did notice a wee twang in the accent that didn't quite, you know, it wasn't quite quite Glasgow, but you're that middle ground. You're not, you're, you're closer to us, mate. You're closer to us. Exactly. Well, you know, it's funny because when I started rugby, I had the choice. Well, I didn't really have the choice, but... Normally, people from Stirling, when they're going into the, the rugby academies, you've got Glasgow or Edinburgh, you've got the two kind of options there. But people from Stirling always came to Glasgow. So I think that, that speaks volumes. It's, it's Glasgow. So, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree with those people. I think uh, we're fond. Glaswegians, we love our Stirling. We love our Stirling. Look, we love our folk from Edinburgh as well. We're one, we're one, we're one country. But yeah, no, look, you definitely fall in the Glasgow bracket. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. That's, that's, that's for the purpose of this podcast. You're a Glasgow boy. Um, and you did go on to represent. You went on to represent a Glasgow team. So you, you played many many years. I think eight seasons or eight seasons for for the Glasgow uh, Warriors. Eight eight seasons. Just finished up, and uh, I had a great time, a, a brilliant time at the club. But I'll, I'll I'll sort of take us back a wee bit uh, before we sort of jumped off topic there a bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, uh, I so I grew, I kind of grew up in Stirling. Uh, just outside there, a little village called Alva. I was born in Linlithgow and moved through to Alva uh, with uh, my, my mum, dad and uh, brother at that point. My, my little sister came along a little bit later, but um, I, I mean, it's a kind of small village. So uh went to primary school there, went to secondary school there. Um, you know, a brother and myself, he, he's 18 months older than me, so we're always running about playing playing sports, whether it be golf, football, uh, even, you know, to be honest, uh, we both started off in rugby, believe it or not, uh, along at the, the local rugby club, which is about a mile away from my mum and dad's house, uh, called Hillfoot Rugby Club, which was a, a cracking little club, and uh, a lot of the guys that we sort of went to school with and that grew up in the, the state where we lived, they, they all went and played there as well, so it was brilliant, and that was the first sort of taste of rugby that I had. Um, but you know, I got to sort of, I think it must have been about nine or ten years old and decided to sort of move into other sports. I ended up playing football for a while. My older brother, he, he played football right through until pretty much this year, so he's he just stopped. So 
he spent a bit of time at Stirling Albion, um, nice. East Stirling, and he just uh, he was playing at Kelty Hearts last year, but he's moved somewhere else. But I think he's kind of a, a little bit lower league now, and he's just doing it for the fun of it. So I kind of followed his footsteps for a bit. Uh, obviously, with the older brother involved in football, you sort of you just kind of look up to what he's doing, and you you want to get involved and try and keep up to to his speed. So um, that was the kind of that's how things went until I was probably about 13 years old and sort of started high school and up until that point we played in the same football team um, and then when I got to high school obviously played football for like the first year team, second year team, that type of thing. And it was only when I got into third year uh, there was a PE teacher who at that time he was really into his rugby and he sort of, he was the man driving everything rugby at the school so you know and, and of course like the school that I went to, Alva Academy um, you know it wasn't it wasn't your kind of private school where rugby's played and, you know, it's kind of what all the young lads do. It's just a state school and football was certainly more popular, but he had seen me one day and I sort of, I was a bit bigger than the rest of the kids. And he'd said, look, what are you doing playing football? You should be playing rugby. Look at the size of you. And I said to him, well, I'll give it a go. Let's, let's see how we go. I mean, I played when I was younger. Um, so I ended up playing a few games for the school team and it was quite funny because... I seem to kind of pick it up quite naturally again. I don't know if playing it at such a young age, just getting used to catching and passing the ball and tackling people, um, sort of come back to me quite quick. So uh, I just I enjoyed it. I just loved it. I think the part that I really enjoyed about it was just the the physical side to the game, like being able to get stuck in. And, you know, there's in football, when I played, I always found that I sort of... Uh, I, I enjoyed the physical side of the game and I would often get caught on the wrong side of the referee and like not in a bad way but you just like throwing my weight about is, it, up is, there a good, is there a good way of getting caught on the wrong side of the referee mate? is that you just trying to that you try to play it down there I think I think there's only one way to get on the wrong side of the referee uh, <laughs> the way that, that, that's, that, that's clear so clearly rugby probably like I mean let's be honest footballers are a wee bit uh, wee bit prima donna um, and you know they go down a bit easily, and that probably wasn't it for you. You probably ended up taking somebody, taking a few of the footballers with you. Ah uh, no, I did take a few boys out. Uh, I used to love a header, uh, and you know I used to play a bit of centre back, so I enjoyed that. And I, I liked the, I liked getting quite physical. You know, I was never a dirty player, but I was a player who probably committed quite heavily to, to tackles, and um, you know I always I was. There's a bit of kind of grit. Like I think I, I could probably got it from my older brother because like he was always uh, he was the one on the field always giving it that ah, bark at folk. But I was I was obviously a bit bigger, and to be fair, I was quite a, a shy. I was I wasn't a very confident kid, so I sort of left my speaking to do because I was a bit bigger. I'd speak less, and I'd sort of try and prove myself through my actions on the field and and get stuck in that way. So, uh, I that that was sort of. My, my journey in football and I enjoyed playing. It was brilliant being in a team, but I think when I got to that sort of 14, 15 years old, rugby sort of took over and, uh, you know, from, from playing at school, I then went to back to Hillfoots, played a few games there for them. And then at that point, you know, I, I was loving it so much that I thought, you know, it's probably time to move to a sort of a team that would level up. So that's when I went along to Stirling County and ended up playing uh, there from sort of under 16s right through to uh, playing for the first team I take it and I was fortunate when when I left high school uh, or sort of a month or two just before I left high school uh, an email popped into my inbox saying that I had been selected for um, to be a member of the, the Glasgow Warriors Academy which at that point was a full-time role although we, we never got paid much but it was a you were in a full-time sort of contract where we trained Monday to Friday and then on the weekend you were released back to play for your, your club team, which was Stirling County for me. Um, so that was that was just, I mean, I couldn't believe it when that happened, to be honest with you. I'd sort of been back playing rugby um, competitively for only, what, three years, four years. And to have... What age, what age, would, what age would you have been at that point? Uh, so I was 17, uh, when just nearly turning 18 when that happened, but... You'd already, made, you'd already made your senior debut for Sterling at that point as well. 
I made made the senior debut for Stirling at sort of seventeen years old, um, and had done a bit of Scotland age grade stuff. So played Scotland under 16s, 17s, and then eighteens. And it was out of that under eighteens program that I'd then been selected to go forward into the Glasgow Warriors Academy. So uh, it all happened really quick. And to be honest with you, like there was times that there were some difficult times through that period. Uh, there was like I, I had I had like one coach in particular who he was to put it politely an absolute arsehole <laughs> like and and to be honest I, I as a young lad like I, I was just in it for the fun of the game I, I loved to express myself and you know this boy was uh it was a Scotland under 18s coach at the time and uh, he was a bully to put it put, put it plainly uh, mm-hmm. and for me there was a lot of questions going around my head at that point thinking oh you know I'm playing rugby at a decent level and stuff like that but is this really what I want to do like the fun's been completely taken out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I persisted. Uh, I, I persisted as best as I could. And it was actually at the end of the time spent um, in that under-18s team where that coach was that somebody who was sort of above him mm-hmm. had taken a bit of a liking to me. And that was how that, that sort of contract had come about. So aye, that was probably one of the, the most difficult years in the lead up to getting that first contract uh, I've, I've had in rugby like, I really was get, sort of second guessing what I was doing just the way that I don't know I felt like a lot of the players and I, and I felt like me to some degree was kind of like I was getting singled out a little bit by the coach it was some way I felt like he had a bit of a vendetta against me so mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't very fun but I mean you learn a lot and I guess in some way it, it toughens you up when, when sort of people treat you like that in some way or another you, you learn to well, the big bad uh, world, the, the world that faces your head is you're going to face some people that you're not going to like. I mean, I didn't always get on well with coaches. Um, I got on great with some. I think just different characters sometimes. And he maybe was, maybe it even sounds like he was a bit threatened by you, maybe your confidence or something like that. Sometimes if you're confident, some people don't, some coaches didn't like confidence. They like to put you put you back in your box. And maybe yeah. that's why he was trying to, but then maybe that kind of made you tougher for moving ahead with tougher times that would have came and you're, you're playing I think so I mean he probably sensed that like I probably I was quite new to the game and like you know I was I was quite a raw player and he, and he probably sensed that I maybe didn't understand things as well as other players and I don't know if his way of maybe challenging me was to see what I was made of and, and mm-hmm. come down quite hard on me uh, and you know it wasn't something I enjoyed but when I stepped away from that programme and away from that coach, I think what I realised was that, you know, not all coaches are like that and it started to become really enjoyable again for me. And, mm. and you know, it just all sort of, it moved really quickly from that point and uh, off I went into the Glasgow Warriors Academy. Oh, and just something, some things I wanted to, to, to run past you as well that I noticed when I was doing my, doing my research on you and I found really interesting. It relates to your junior, your, 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 kind of Scotland junior days. Um, in particular, uh, Scotland under 17s, Wellington International Festival. Would that be right in saying Wellington, New Zealand? No, it was actually Wellington College down in uh, near London. Right, okay. Well, still still a trip away for the for the boys, you know, it's a it's, it's a tour away. So tell me tell me, I mean that what, what kind of a young age to get was that, is that quite a quite a renowned tournament? It was uh that was that was really where that was the first point where I sort of met a lot of the boys that I went on to play with a lot more, um, you know, likes of, for people that might know rugby out there, guys that played in that team it was the likes of Sam Hidalgo, Klein, Scott Steele, um, like Jamie Batty, guys that have really pushed on to do really well and and mm-hmm. play for Scotland and play for professional teams. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty special moment. I remember that first time sort of pulling on the jersey and singing the anthem. Um, and we, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable, to be honest. Like, it was a really proud moment for me. And I sort of, I felt really inspired to sort of push on and, and do more of that. So it was a great tournament. We, uh, we, we played pretty well. Uh, as a team, we performed well. I think we... I can't remember. I think, I think we might have come pretty close to beating like the likes of England. I think it was, um, and then we played like Canada, and there was another team as well. Uh, but I mean, we were all so young. We we're sixteen-year-old boys, and we we're kind of playing for Scotland was just like a dream come true. Yeah. Um, and we were staying. We stayed on the, the school campus and the grounds. So we were all in like these kind of like 
it was like student or like student halls or whatever if that's probably the best way to call it so we were just spending time around each other the antics that i can imagine where they've got i mean i've i've done similar in junior junior district scotland tours i know what kind of setup you're talking about and it's uh it's wild <laughs> so right. you watch your back at all times you do i bed bunks and boys running riot and the coach coming through in the middle of the night and the boys are up until 2am in the morning shouting screaming and oh it's, it was good times but you know, that's the that's the good memories you have after being involved in that kind of thing. No, brilliant, brilliant, and great to experience playing for your country at such a young age. You know, that's that's that is a, it's a spe special feeling. Two thousand and eleven, really special moment, proud, proud moment for you, and I'm I'm assuming proud moment for your family as well. Where you you were named the elite development player mm -hmm. coming through. That must be quite a prestige award, to prestige nomination to get for you know is that is that is that basically all kind of Scotland, is that is that all of Scotland does that cover? Aye, so basically how that sort of thing worked, so that was at the end of that under-18s uh, year where I just finished up in school and they had a programme in Scotland at the time, so Scottish Rugby have their academy systems and that was called the Elite Development Programme at that time, so there was myself and three other guys selected to go into that um, and then from there on, the some of those players and then other players from outside that were also selected to go in and train with Glasgow and the academy set up. So uh, essentially what that was, was just uh, uh, you you are sort of brought into the programme to train with the professional team and learn about what it was like to train as a full-time rugby player and get all the sort of uh, assistance and uh, programming that these guys get. So that, that was really eye-opening. And, uh, you know, I think that was probably at that point where I stepped into that programme that, I really realised that this is what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to try and pursue a career in rugby. And, you know, I turned up every day and, you know, I was just, you know, as you kind of mature in your career, your, your perspective always changes on things. But at that point, you know, you're turning up, you're just soaking things up. You're just absolutely open to learning as much as you can. Uh, but, you know, you, you're not really, you're not really taking things too seriously or thinking too far ahead because for me personally, I don't really think I'd learned how to do that yet. So <laughs> it served me quite well in the sense that I was just there. I was soaking it up um, and I was trying to do the best that I could. And thankfully spent a couple of years within that programme and then it was, uh, ended, ended up going out to New Zealand for a while towards the end of that programme. Uh, and then, I, I mean, things transpired really quickly after that because after I went to New Zealand for a, there's a scholarship that they do through Scottish Rugby called the McPhail Scholarship. Mm -hmm. And each year, uh, a player or two players get selected to go out and uh, and take part in this. So uh, you train a rugby team called the Crusaders, who are the best, essentially they're the best rugby team in the world. They've won like three back-to-back -back Super Rugby Championships. Um, and they are uh, they're the best team in New Zealand. New Zealand are the best international team in the world. And to be honest, I think teams in Europe would probably struggle to to beat these guys. So went out there for three, four months, played rugby in New Zealand, and off the back of that, ended up getting called up to the first team, Scotland, and played my first cap out there mm -hmm. in South Africa. Uh, the, the way it all kind of come about was there was a lot of injuries um, in the squad at that point, and they were really having to scrape the barrel for finding players that would... Uh, would would be up to that standard and I had been out in New Zealand. You're being modest, mate. You're being modest there. I'm sure you were <laughs> I'm sure you were uh, I'm sure you were uh, were very capable. Although I did see the score um, uh, and it was a rude it was a rude introduction to uh, to international rugby. Um I sure that was a wake up call for you. But continue continue well, with your... I have to say, absolutely was uh, you know at that point Scotland had been on a tour for I think three or four weeks. They'd been in America, they'd been in Canada, they then went to Argentina and I'd flown over to South Africa to meet the team there. But there was a lot of guys that couldn't play because, you know, there was the, their club teams weren't allowing them to play outside the international window. Um, there was injuries. So, you know, South Africa had their pretty much their first string team out against a Scotland team that was sort of third or fourth string. And we got absolutely trounced. Who, who would have been some of the names, Adam, on the pitch for South Africa then in that game? Uh, Andre Pollard, um, you know, like uh, Scout Burger, uh, oh, who else was playing? There was like Shout Brits, 
like so many, like Willie Willie LaRue, like he was playing. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty much like all the all the the top class players that were in South Africa at that point were on the pitch that day. Um, and I've I'd never experienced that level of rugby before. Just that the physicality, the speed of the game. Um, it really was a bit like kind of boys v men to say it like that. It, it sounds 50, a bit fifty five six suggests right. that it probably was on the day. Boys, men against, men against boys, but no, nothing to be ashamed of when you're coming up against what was probably one of the best rugby sides in the world. Ah, it was, and, and at that point, I'd only played like two professional rugby games, so for me, I was very much a boy, you know, just maturing and sort of getting myself ready to, to step up to that level, but, you know, I was actually, I was really, although we had been beaten that day, I, I had felt like quite proud of how I sort of stepped up myself and sort of carried myself in the field that day. So um, I was pleased after it. Uh, and that being the, the last game of the, the tour, we we got out and celebrated that night, although we uh, we got trounced that day. The boys had had a couple of good results leading up to that game. So I think they'd beat, uh, beat America, Canada, and then beaten Argentina the week before. And then obviously we got hosed off the South Africans, but it was a great experience. And then I ended up flying back to New Zealand for two weeks to complete the scholarship and then came back to Scotland. And then that was the kind of season after I got back that I really pushed on and started to play quite regularly with Glasgow. Yeah, so amazing, really, because you only, you only made your debut 14th of September 2012. Um, and I did think to myself, Bloody hell, man, you must have taken the world by storm. You'd only played two games. Um, and they've obviously, it comes from you coming through that somebody had the, the confidence to say that, you know, because I think it was um, somebody, there was somebody that was injured or that was 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 unable to unable to play. But still for the coach to, at the time, it was Vern Cotter, I believe, mm -hmm. that gave you, gave, you gave you the call. He must have known something. He must have seen something in you. And he's taken a he's taken a punt. You played the full eighty minutes. What a what an experience to have I've got at a young age, and I'm sure that's stood you in good stead. So you come back back to back to Glasgow as a as a full internationalist. Were you strutting about a wee bit at that point, or were you did you keep your feet in the ground? Yeah, I'd like to think my feet were on the ground. Like I mean, for me, my intentions were that I just wanted to push on and play more with Glasgow, and at that point. You know, it was a bit of a funny situation because the team or, or the team that I was training with out in New Zealand, but wasn't playing for because I'd, I'd been playing club rugby out there. Okay. Um, there, the the professional team were starting back up um, to play their games, and the coach wanted to keep me out there so that I would play for their team, okay. which I was absolutely buzzing about. I was thinking, well, you know, I've I've managed to come over here and I've really enjoyed my time here, made some great friends and I've been offered a rugby contract to stay and play in New Zealand. But the thing was is that uh, the coach at the Warriors at the time, he wasn't really wanting to entertain that idea and he wanted me to come back. So mm -hmm. I, I had to come back and, uh, you know, my intentions were let, let's go, let's play for Glasgow and get involved as much as I can. And I think that year, uh, obviously coming off the back of a, a first cap for Scotland, there was probably, you know, people were probably seen me in the light that I was probably going to push on quite a lot that year and uh, and I played some decent rugby for Glasgow at the start of that season um, and then and the lead up to the Scotland games in the autumn period where Scotland played against Argentina, uh, New Zealand and then Tonga, I, I, got, I managed to get a call up to those games. I was in the squad and played against Argentina um, and I played against New Zealand the next week. And uh, I ended up injuring my neck in that New Zealand game, which was a great game. Like it was, it was wow. a very. Oh, I, I, I can say that my neck had been bothering me for about a year previous to that. Like I kept getting a stiff neck, and I'd wake up in the morning and like literally sitting up out of the bed, my neck would just stiffen up and lock up. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would just sort of play on with it. I was persistent. I was like, "Let's go! I don't want to stop." Um, and then on the morning of the New Zealand game playing the All Blacks at Murrayfield, I woke up and I could not get myself out of bed. Like my neck, I've never ever experienced pain like this before. I, I went down to get breakfast in the hotel and I was sitting there and people were looking at me saying, are you all right? What's wrong with you? And I was, I, I couldn't sit, I couldn't sit up. Like anytime I sat up, I just got this searing pain in the back of my neck. And I said to the doc, like, doc, 
I'm going to need some painkillers here. If I want to play the night, I'm going to need some. So yeah. he ended up giving me some Cocodamol and I took probably six like throughout the day in the lead up to that game. And sort of that's as the day went on. That's, that's, that? a, that's a healthy amount of Cocodamol leading into a... But, but the pain, I mean, to take the pain away. But the bad thing being, as a rugby player, you try to take the pain away of a neck injury, but somebody's about to be trying to wipe you. <laughs> try and, and the team you're coming up against, I've got some big boys that are, uh, you know, going to be going to be gunning for you. So mentally going into that game, did you did you still believe that you could perform? Absolutely. There was nothing going to stop me going out there. And you know, if that was now, I would have the sort of uh, the experience to know that I shouldn't be playing a game of rugby, feeling yeah. like that. But. I was so hungry and I was so motivated to go out there and do well and to play the All Blacks, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yep. There was nothing that was going to stop me. So, you know, you do what you have to do and, you know, the, the Cocodamol helped and sort of got a bit later on in the day and my neck started to ease off a little bit. So, um, went out and played the All Blacks, played sort of 60 minutes, but there was a, I remember there was a tackle at one point in the game. Uh, there was a line-out and I was out defending in the back line and there, number eight got the ball and he was charging like hard. And I I sort of tackled him, but I just went head first right at his knees. Like, obviously, yeah. terrible technique, you know, but I was like just throwing myself at it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I ended up banging my neck even more. Mm -hmm. But it was at that point where I was like, I was struggling quite a bit in the game. So I came off after about 65 minutes. Um, and then, you know, we the next morning, I... I was really struggling to be honest. I could barely get out of bed. Went for a scan on my neck, and I basically I had like a pretty bad bulging disc in my neck. So that was me for the next four months, no rugby. Uh, and I, I mean, that was that was probably one of the most difficult injuries I've had to deal with. And in terms of the pain, like just the the sort of pain that you find yourself in waking up in the morning. I remember my mum had to come to Edinburgh to drive me back from Murrayfield. Um, because I couldn't, I couldn't drive. I couldn't sit up in a car. Couldn't rotate your neck. I couldn't rotate. So I had to put the um, passenger seat in the car right down, and I was lying like that. With the oh, full yeah. shirt off. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. So that was me for four months. I went back to Glasgow, got myself sorted, and sort of carried on my rehab there. But uh, there was a bit of a lengthy layoff after that injury, uh, which was a bit of a shame to be honest, because I was, I felt like I was in some good form and. Things were going well for me. Clearly, you were clearly in the in the international frame at that time, um, and you know this is the way. This is the cruelty of sport. It really is the cruelty of sport. You could have had if you didn't have that neck injury, could have had a decent, a good, very good game against New Zealand. Could have led to another ten caps off the back of that if you if you if your luck's in. But sometimes it doesn't always pan out like that. Unfortunately, you were benched. You were all you were you were in rehab for four months. Did, did you did how did you keep yourself motivated during those four months? Um, a lot of other things kind of popped up. Like I met my fiance at that time, so that kept me kept me kind of going in some way or another. Uh, so uh, that that was good. Like I was, it was quite nice to meet her, and uh, it was frustrating because uh, part of me for the first two sort of two and a half months, I didn't feel like my neck was getting better. Um, and they were when that happened. There was a sort of conversation. I went to see a specialist who was potentially going to do an operation, but because I was quite young at the time, he decided not to do it because there's quite a lot of risks involved with that neck surgery. So we decided not to do it. But um, I sort of went back and rehabbed it, and you know I was having to use anti-inflammatories and painkillers to manage the pain most days. But it probably took until about three months until I actually started feeling normal. And basically, the rehab process involved. Be, like holding like like you know how you get the big neck harnesses and stuff yeah. and like just building the strength up so that the neck couldn't move as much mm -hmm. so that when I go back out and play rugby if I get hit then it's going to be able to brace it a little bit more so mm -hmm. it was quite a tough rehab process um, and it was hard to see like my mates push on and you know sort of do well when I had been in that position and all of a sudden it had been kind of taken away from me uh, but you know, like, as a young lad, you know, you, you, you sort of just find a way to get on with it. And you're just like, well, you know, I'll change my focus a little bit. It's about getting back fit now. And that that real hunger to get myself back on the field was there through the whole time. Uh, I was still so, so hungry to, to push on and play for the Glasgow Warriors and play for Scotland. 
Um, so it was very much a natural sort of, it happened quite naturally. I didn't feel like at any moment I had to really have a word with myself and say, right, come on, you need to screw down here. You're not, you're not taking us seriously or you're, you're kind of too down or anything like that. I was still very, very hungry at that point to, to get myself back out there. Get yourself back. Well, probably in a way, I mean, the fact that she's now your fiance means that, you know, she was the one and it probably kept your spirits quite high. I mean, when you, you, you meet the partner, you're going to, you're going to be a life partner, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a special time. So in, in some ways it probably happened at the right time for you because you probably needed a wee spark. You could have right. quite easily been sat alone, you know, nobody's, but, you know, feeling, so, feeling down and, you know, it could have gone, you might not have got through the rehab, but probably, and that probably did help, probably gave you a positive feeling. And, and then the fact that you were still so hungry, because the thing is, at a young age, you'd had a taste of playing international rugby. You're going to want, you're going to want more of that. Um, but great to hear that you got through the rehab and was it straight back onto the pitch or did you have further rehab? Was it once the neck was good to go? your physical condition, were you, were you ready to get back in the park or did you have to go through further training to get yourself ready to be to be on the on the pitch again? I, um, you know what, what, it's funny I say this, I can admit this now because it's quite funny, it's easy to laugh at, but one of the big motivations that I, 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 I kind of was aware that was going around my head was I wanted to get back on the field because I wanted to impress my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm saying, I can understand that, mate. I can totally understand that. You're thinking, I need, I need to have her in the stands watching me, you know, go out there and do my thing. I'm not, this sitting on the couch is uh, doing a neck brace every single night. It's no impress for anybody. <laughs> exactly, man. So, uh, I, um, I, I mean, after four months, I was good to go. So I got myself back on the field for Glasgow, played two games, was absolutely loving it being back out there. You know, my neck never felt like it did before, don't get me wrong, but um, I played two games for Glasgow and it was coming towards the Six Nations time at that point and I went straight back into the Six Nations squad and I had to do this, like, neck test and I remember Vern Cotter, uh, I went to Murrayfield one day and James Robson, the doctor, was there and he had this neck uh, testing kit out and it's this big thing, like, you strap it on your head and then James right. basically pulls you from the side pulls you back, pulls you that way and that way, and, and it measures how strong your neck was. Okay, okay. You're just bracing. I'm assuming uh, that's a rugby, I'm assuming that's a test that rugby players predominantly need to go through because neck, that neck injury is a serious issue in rugby. I know, that's that's exactly it. All the players get tested. Um, and at that point, I had, uh, Vern had basically called me the day before and he said, look, you're coming through for this neck test tomorrow. Uh if you get your scores, if you hit the scores, then you're going to be back in the squad and we're playing you against Ireland the next wow. week. Wow. So I was like, right, I just need to nail this test. So I went through, uh, James tested me, and I'd been working really hard, and it turns out that my neck was the strongest neck in Scottish rugby after doing all that rehab. So I'd, Aye, I'd you just get uh, <laughs> Honestly, my neck was proper big. Uh, it's like a pencil neck now, but um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was good. I passed the test, and then... I pretty much, uh, he, he started me against Ireland the week after that, um, which, to be fair, it, it, wasn't a, it didn't go very well for us. We were playing at Murrayfield and uh, we ended up kind of, I think it was one of the worst defeats we've had against Ireland in years. Uh, but I, I just, I just no, loved that it. Been, that would have been a hard one to take. At Murrayfield as well would have been a hard one to take. It was, it was a tough one. But for me, I was just really excited to be back out there. And uh, I enjoyed, I did enjoy the game and enjoyed playing in front of the fans at Murrayfield again. Um, and then the next week we played, oh, sorry, actually, I think the week before that we'd actually played England, but I'd come off, I'd come off the bench. That was it. He said, you put you on the bench against England. Uh, so I came off the bench against England, uh, played quite well. And he said, right, we'll start against Ireland. So Ireland was the last game in the Six Nations that year. And the, the, the painful thing about it was that that game, if Ireland won it, they were going to lift the trophy in Murrayfield. And Ooh. that's what happened. So they were drinking Guinness on the Murrayfield pitch, and we just had a bit of a drink. I think it would be worse if it had been. I, I'll say this: I think it would be worse if it had been England. England winning oh, that Murrayfield yeah. to take it. That, that's good. That's good to heart. You know, the Irish did a nice, but you know, I'm sure they. I'm sure they were very. They, they didn't rub it in too much while they were in Edinburgh, but I'd imagine they drank the place dry, and they were <laughs> in Edinburgh that night. I think they did, to be honest. Uh, and it's funny, you know, how these things work. Like we. We had a, a game for Glasgow about a year after that, and I remember it was over in Leinster, over there. Mm -hmm. And Gregor Townsend was the coach at Glasgow at that point, 
and he had sort of caught wind that uh, well, he'd seen that the, the Ireland team had been drinking Guinness on the Murrayfield pitch mm-hmm. and it kind of got under his skin a little bit. So we went back to Glasgow and we played against Leinster over there a year later for Glasgow Warriors. And Gregor was like, right, boys, I've got some motivation for you. If we win this game, then we're going to go on the pitch. The RDS is the stadium that Leinster play in. If we win the game, we're going to drink Guinness on their pitch, um, which uh, unfortunately didn't happen, but it was a good idea. Oh, dear. I can understand that. He's a passionate, passionate, passionate Scotsman, legend of, legend of the game, and he obviously didn't like seeing, uh, seeing the Irish getting to, getting to, enjoy, getting to enjoy his... Your surface like that, but either the old motivational speech and for some they don't always work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't things just happen the way that they do, and you can be fired up for you can be, and equally on the other side of that, you cannot feel like playing, and you go out and have a good game. So it just it, it can it can go both ways there. So mm-hmm. I that was a it was it was a shame to finish the Six Nations like that, but uh, we went back to Glasgow and we just cracked on with the season. And to be honest, uh. I can't really remember too much of what happened that season, but uh, the season, the summer, uh, after that Six Nations, the summer was sort of the, the 2015 World Cup camp. So uh, that was an interesting time. Kind of, I was part of the squad for the 2015 World Cup and um, had played in the first, the second game against Italy. We went over there and won, which was just the, the warm-up games for the actual World Cup. So it was still a wider squad at that point with 40-odd mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. And then the last hurdle had kind of missed out and, and kind of got cut from the squad, which I was a little bit shocked with, given the fact that I had such an involvement in the lead-up to that. Yeah. Uh, but was, I, it still, coach, was, it still, was it still Vern, the coach at that point? Aye, it was Vern who was the coach at that point. So I think... Uh, I. Uh, to be honest with you, I learned a lot of lessons during that, that period because I had uh, I had sort of went on holiday for the two weeks after the season and enjoyed myself and I'd come back in sort of like three or four kilos heavy, which I mean it's not like a, a big thing. You can get you can shift that off in no time. But for me, uh coming back in, you know, you get your body fats taken and uh the nutritionists and the strength and conditioning staff said, like, we need to get you a bit leaner, you're a bit heavy at the moment, we need to get you firing again. So I, I put everything into it. I, I ate the cleanest diet I've ever ate in my life uh, for the best part of two and a half months. I trained harder than I've, I've ever trained in my life. But unfortunately, you know, I think the way that I felt things played out, I think I got a little bit too lean. I lost a little bit too much weight through all the training and through eating so clean mm-hmm. um, and through sort of trying to hit the markers that these guys had set. So they set, like, for each position, you get your kind of body fats that you should be at and, you know, your fitness scores and your tests and your gym strength scores that you need to be hitting, um, which I was hitting all these ones, but I had got to a point where I was actually too lean, so I had pushed it too far. Mm-hmm. And when I got on the field, I just felt like I didn't quite have the same... The, the same weight behind me when I was sort of running into collisions and, and tackles. And, you know, I think that was probably quite evident for the coaches when I was on the field. And I, and I really think it sort of came down to that um, as to why I didn't get selected, which was a shame. So missed out in the 2015 World Cup, but you got to live and learn, you know? Listen, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I've, I've, I've missed out on campaigns, campaigns like that myself. And that would have been, I'd imagine, that would have been a that would be a tough one to take. I mean, you you're sitting here now, it's, it's you know years later, and you do you live and you learn, and, and you you learn from experience. But you must you must have felt it, you know, when the boys got in the plane, and you know you're no part of it. And, and the fact that you you were probably just start, suddenly you were starting to feel quite comfortable in your surroundings, you know, you were you were part, you were right in amongst it. So how did you? You know, you had your neck injury, but the neck injury sounded like you know it was a it was a burden. But you were you were driven at that point. You were like, but missing out in a World Cup can drain. You know, that can it's more of a mental drain, I would imagine. What was the kind of aftermath of that like, and how did you pick yourself back up again? Yeah, it was it was definitely tough to take. There was no doubt about it. But uh, I think at that point. Um, although it was hard and like, I wished I was going and, and I found it really difficult to watch the guys playing, you know, that was really difficult. Like I definitely felt like a sense of lack almost watching the guys playing and, you know, 
it's strange because you should you should probably be sitting there hopefully supporting the guys and wanting them to do well but there was definitely a sense of lack and jealousy that was lingering after that yeah, yeah. So I felt like I should have been there but I wasn't and um, you know the, the the positive thing out of it all was that at that point just literally within a couple of days of hearing that bad news I was back in at Glasgow and Gregor Townsend was like look we want to get you back in we need to get you involved in the squad here although you've not been picked for Scotland we're exceptionally happy to have you back here mm-hmm. So at that time, uh, uh, there wasn't really any time to to sort of self-loathe or or dig myself into a hole about not getting in, involved in that because it was just on to the next job. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a youngster, I still feel at that point, so I would have been 21, 22 years old. In terms of the way that you think about things and the way you sort of uh, compartmentalise things, I feel mm-hmm. like I was still really underdeveloped in terms of the way that I sort of processed it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, I didn't have to deal with anything. There was nothing to deal with. It was like, let's just go on. I mean, there's nothing else to it. I felt like I was riding this wave and I, the wave was just taking me and whatever way it was going, you know, that was the way it was going. So went back to Glasgow. Um, and for me, that was probably one of my most favourite times at Glasgow Warriors because I felt like I had quite a pivotal role to play in the team. Um you know, I played, we had 12 games at the start of the season and I think I played every minute of those 12 games. Uh, mm-hmm. Some really tough fixtures and I felt really fit. I was in good shape after the World Cup camp and really pushed on with things and, and I really enjoyed the rugby at that point and I think we managed to win, you know, sort of the vast majority of those games and I was just loving it. I was absolutely loving it. Um, so it wasn't necessarily the type of thing where I felt really challenged by it uh, there's definitely been well, you're young. Of... I suppose one of the factors is you, you were young weren't you I mean I... I suppose if you'd been 32 33 that could have been like oh, all those years that but you were young enough that I suppose you, you managed to just shrug it off and still loving your rugby it's a lot yeah. easier to love rugby when you're 21 22 than when you get to 33 34 and the body starts saying well this is going to hurt tomorrow completely and I was thinking as well along the lines of well, you know, I'm 21, 22 years old. There'll be other World Cups, you know, at some point I'll get to play. And that's not the way it's panned out. But, you know, it's not like I've got any... I've, I'm completely at peace with that. It's just mm-hmm. the way that it's kind of panned out. Um, but I, I, it was... It was it was, it was gotten at the time. The, the bit that I found the most challenging was when the coach actually told me it. Like, when I was actually in that room with him and it was like, I couldn't quite come computer in my own head I felt like I was in a decent position and yeah. the chances were was that I was going to get picked for the team and he told me and I was like is this, is, is this a dream is this a bad dream or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but hey that was it you know uh, obviously he kind of had a bit of a change of opinion on me and I think a lot of that came down to just the, the sort of change in my physique and you know I felt like as a younger player there was quite a lot of like I was quite compulsive um and if I wanted to do something, I would do it very, very, like, 100%. Yeah. Whether that being on the field, the way I was committing to things, or whether it being off the field, the way I was committing to my diet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or even on the sauce. You know, like, when you go out with the boys and get, get like, drunk, I was, I would go hard. You know, I was, like, I was writing about it. Yeah. yeah. But as I've got older, you know, there's, you learn and you, and you adapt and you sort of, you find your feet and you you start to think differently and you you know the old saying the older you get the wiser you get hopefully mm-hmm. and I think it's just been a case of that getting older and you know uh, the way you the way you perceive things definitely starts to change mm-hmm. so sounds like it was a twilight it sounds like you had some some really good seasons there sounds like you were enjoying it which is good to hear it's always a really 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 important part because in sport and at the high, top level you do go through stages of you're not always enjoying it, you know, this and, and, there, and there were some times that, that came more towards the the back end, I think, of your time in Glasgow, where you were playing under um a Kiwi, I believe, Dave 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 Um and the thing is it sounds like you had a great relationship with them. Um and but eventually he um you kind of started falling down the pecking order. Um but I, and, and I mean, I read up a bit on it, and it was, you know, you seem quite surprised. You, you seem quite surprised about it that you were you were following down this pecking order. And one of the quotes that I read was, "He'd actually doubted your aggression." Now, 
I, I was I was reading that and I was thinking, surely he was just maybe saying that to prod you to get more out of you. Some coaches do that, you know, they'll they'll say to you, they'll just poke you somewhere where, and to maybe say to you, ah, you're not aggressive enough, might make you, you know, what? I'm not aggressive enough. I'll show you how aggressive I, I can show you how aggressive I can be. But what do, 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 do you what, what do you what do you believe? What, what's your thoughts on 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 him saying that? What what's your, what was your view on it? And how and what, what do you think happened to that point? Why do you think you fell out of favour? Yeah, um, I guess like it's for me, it's quite clear as to why he was thinking that. Like I had uh, so the start of that season, so my last year at Glasgow, my last full year. Um, we had, had like an internal pre-season game and I'd ended up like I was you know I was I was feeling pretty good like and confident and stuff and looking forward to cracking on with the season there was a lot of boys at that point away on international duty so there was really you know a select few guys that had been there for a long time that were going to have to lead things and drive things and I was kind of one of those players mm-hmm. but we had a pre-season game uh, internal and I went basically a defence went up and tackled this boy and I'd got a really bad stinger in my shoulder, like real, like, I mean, my shoulder basically wasn't working, uh, but it just was completely numb. Um, not and the following, not just what? It, it did, it sort of subluxed like that, but it went straight back in. Right. Uh, but the, the most kind of annoying thing about it was I just didn't have, afterwards, I didn't have the, the sensation in my shoulder, so I felt like I couldn't use it properly. Okay. So uh, the next week we had Ulster, in a pre-season game, our first pre-season game that year. And, uh, you know, I had, they had said to me, how's the shoulder feeling? You know, we've not really got any number eight. So would, you know, are you, are you going to be good to play type thing? And I said, well, my shoulder's feeling probably 70%, but you know, I'm happy to play. But as long as you know that my shoulder's not feeling great, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to sort of do everything I can to get it feeling as good as I can for the game. But I want to make that clear to you. Um, and then, I went and played that game and, you know, by all means it went okay, but, you know, first game of the season, everybody's a little bit rusty. Yeah. Uh, but he felt in that game that I wasn't physical enough in the tackle, um, which yeah, would... I thought you would have known that because you'd said to me you were only 70%. Well, that's what I was thinking. Uh, but he, I guess what happened after that game was he, we had we had our first game the next week away in South Africa in uh, mm-hmm. Bloemfontein. Okay. And, uh, you know, everybody's looking forward to that. And he ended up dropping me completely at the squad for that game, which, to be honest, I was I was pretty surprised that I had come to that. Uh, and I was, at, at that point, really gutted. Um, you know, I, I had personally wanted to push on with the squad and sort of help drive the standards. And, you know, there was a lot of boys away at that point. So it was going to be, there was a lot of responsibility riding on the guys that had been there for a long time and sort of brought the club from the sort of darker ages of, of not winning much through the period of winning a championship and continually year after year making playoffs. So I, I was really, really gutted after that. Um, and to be honest, I said to them after, I said, look, well, I'm not going to continue to play and train and knock my pan in when my shoulder's not feeling great. So I'm going to take some time to get yeah. this right so that I can come back and play well. Um, and so I got dropped for the first couple of games of the season. The third game of the season, um, I ended up uh, starting that game and like 30 seconds into the game, you know, I was firing, I was ready to, you know, put my foot back down and get stuck in. Went, I went to tackle this boy and tried to try to take his, uh, I said take his head off, but a bit <laughs> lower than mean. that. I know what you mean. <laughs> And again, basically, to show you, you know, you were you're, you're going hard. You were, you were, you were fired up. Coaches obviously dropped you as well. So you got, you're coming back with a point to prove. Totally. And what had happened was, I uh, went to tackle this boy pretty hard. And imagine the guys running at me. This is me coming in here to smoke this guy. And I went to hit him there. And one of our other players just went to tackle him from this side. And we've both banged heads. And I got right, okay. knocked clean. I was clean yeah. out. So I was on the floor. Head was cut open. Um, and that was game over for me. So that happened, uh, which obviously I'd wanted to have put a, my best foot forward in that game, but I didn't really get the opportunity to. So that that was kind of the the next period of probably eight weeks was a run of me not really being involved in, in any games at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think I just struggled to get an opportunity after that because all the Scotland guys came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was more depth in the squad. And yeah, I, I mean, you were, already, I, I, you were already a wee bit out of 
Allah's adding a wee bit of favour, so making your job even tougher with the, with all the, with the full squad coming back. It was indeed. Uh, so, I mean, that was kind of how the rest of the season panned out. Like, I got a couple of cracks off the bench and I had personally felt like they had went quite well. But I think that after that happened at the start of the season, his perspective on me changed. And, you know, don't get me wrong, we had plenty of conversations about it. Like, I, I think Dave, personally, I feel like Dave is, uh, there's a lot of stick he gets in the media because players have spoken out. Like, I've spoken out about this and other mm -hmm. boys have as well. Um, just about the, the disagreements that we had and how I felt like I should have had an opportunity to play again, but mm -hmm. he felt like we had other players that were playing well that I disagreed with him and said, I feel like I should be playing. And mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I definitely feel like I'm not the kind of person that I, I, I'm one that can admit, I feel if someone's playing better than me, then, you know, go ahead and play. I, I feel that like you should be playing. And there was, mm -hmm. that was the case with Matt Fagerson. I felt like, you know, he's playing well, Etc. You know, you, you're doing well. You're a young lad. You should be playing. But I just felt there was a few other guys in there that maybe weren't playing as well as what I could do. And some of the things that Dave was asking me to get better at was things that I was doing better than the other guys that were playing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I found it quite, there was a lot of contradictions I feel that were getting made. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the one thing that I really, really respected about Dave the whole time was he was always open for a conversation. He was always open for a player to approach him and mm -hmm. ask him something which is a really, really rare thing in a coach. You know, yeah. most coaches won't even be open to having that conversation yeah. because... Yeah, they made a decision, it's like doors closed, like, you know, I've told you, that's it. That's what you need. Uh, that's it. And, you know, I think this just it shows you what kind of man that he is. He's willing to hear people out. You know, he's he was always emphasising the togetherness and the family aspect of the squad. You know, that guy, he knew every single player's partner's name in that team. And whenever they were in that building at Scottsdale, he would be over there speaking to them. So, you know, people... He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's obviously... He's, he's, he's made, a, made, made a decision and he's... But he, he, you don't always agree. Sometimes you've got to agree to disagree, yeah. don't you? Completely. And, and, you know, it's nothing... You know, as much as things were probably taken personally at times when you take a step back from it and you actually look at what happened and when you come through it, all that happened wasn't personal. Like there, there's nothing personal to take from this. Like, And at the time, it seemed like it, but Dave was a top coach. He was a top man. And I think what he'd done for the club at Glasgow it was absolutely exceptional. And, and I just completely disagree with what these people are saying in the media. The way that some of the journalists are portraying that Dave's a bad man-manager. Dave's not a bad man, man, man manager Dave's a man who made decisions and he felt like he was doing the right thing for the team. Although I disagreed with what he was doing, it doesn't mean that he's a bad man manager. You know, he's, he's having the conversations, he's, he's having the dialogues with players to make sure that they're okay and these things. So that was just it. It was, it was a bit of a disagreement. And, you know, at that point, I, had, uh, I was trying to push myself back into the squad. I ended up hurting my shoulder even more in training. And it was at that point where I kind of made the decision was, I want to see a specialist about this because it's not really getting any better um, and I don't feel as if I can continue playing with it feeling like this. So mm -hmm. basically back in March, just before the whole lockdown thing happened, when Dave was still the coach at the club, uh, I was going to get a shoulder operation, but that then got cancelled because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then Dave left at the end of the season and a new coach came in and the new coach, uh, you know, he was actually quite keen for me to go out on loan to another team uh, sort of towards the end of the season but I wasn't fit to go and do that and I needed to get a shoulder up which had been cancelled through Covid so that didn't happen until July so mm -hmm. I got the operation then and the new coach had said ah, well you know we're kind of quite keen for you to, to sort of move on ideally which you know at that point after the way the previous year had went you know, I was open to doing that mm -hmm. I, I was very open to exploring elsewhere so um, that's essentially what happened um, and uh, I finished up with Glasgow a couple of weeks ago. I'm back fit, and I've uh, I've got some exciting new uh, adventures to announce uh, at the right time, which I, I can't do just now. But uh, I'm sure over the next few days some of that stuff will come out. But uh, aye, it's all good. You know, everything's good. I'm I'm just so excited about moving forward and sort of the new the new adventure that lies ahead. You know, I think it, myself and my partner are really really excited about it. And you know, you know, people are kind of it's really good to see, you know, like people are sort of checking in on me to make sure I'm fine because I'm in that kind of stage where I've left a club that I've been at for a long time and it's quite, 
common for for people and players to get a bit kind of uh, out of check, or it can be a bit of a funny period, and sometimes you know get a little bit lost, and certain things might come up. And but I mean, I, I'm just really really excited, and and I've actually found stepping away from the environment quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, having plenty of other stuff to, to get on with in the background and you know I'm training away myself at the moment just down the local park I'll run I've got a couple of mates that have gyms I go and train there so it's been really nice and you know I think I'm just putting all my energy into the next the next step next step well I mean something else when you're saying you kept your, you've kept yourself busy um, you've got a business venture that you do um, related to CBD products I believe how did that all come about? How did it get started? Tell me a bit about the business. Tell me a bit about the story. Aye, so essentially talking about injuries and rugby and, you know, the, the pain that sort of most players tend to find themselves in on a daily basis, uh, you know, playing back-to-back games and the training regime is pretty tough. I'm, I'm sure in somewhat cricket, you've, you'll have had periods where you've felt uh, extremely sore at times and, mm-hmm. Uh, there's no getting away from it, but it's just part and parcel of the, the game. More getting, hit, more getting hit in a certain area is the most painful thing that can happen in a cricket field. But I don't have the fear of walking out to get somebody trying to, three guys trying to wipe me out. You know, rugby was, I was, football was all right for me. That was enough. Rugby was never a, I don't like, I don't like the thought of getting slammed. I watched, I watched you, some of you, but when I watched the DB and it's the way that you just get taken out and you just jump back up like it's normal, oh, it's a normal day at the office. I'd be laid down there for the next 20 minutes and get me stretched off of here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'd rather get taken out by three folk than get a cricket ball to the gonads. Well, that's, <laughs> you, that's a different, especially at high speeds, 85 plus miles per hour. It can, it can be, it can be quite, it can be quite unpleasant. Um, but listen, you know, you, the CBD products obviously related to, to painful Aye. bodies. So I essentially, you know, I think, Myself and my business partner, Grayson Hart, who was playing at the the same rugby team at that point as me, Glasgow Warriors, we were both aware that, you know, like, in order to get ourselves out in the field and to, to be fit to to make selection for the games, because you had to train in order to be selected that weekend on the Tuesday. If you weren't training by the Tuesday, then you weren't going to be playing. Yeah. But people would drag themselves out onto the field and, you know, like, many a times we would be using painkillers and anti-inflammatories to get ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. And we started to really realise that there, there's these aren't good things to be using the whole time. You know, there's yeah. so many adverse side effects. And mm-hmm. so I guess what happened was we started to really open up to other alternative options when it comes to managing pain, mm-hmm. you know, managing even like the mental side of things, the anxiety mm-hmm. and the stress that comes with playing professional rugby. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we'd heard about a load of athletes over in the USA who were using CBD oil to help with this stuff. So we started to use this oil uh, that we had bought in in Glasgow and uh, we'd started to see that we had some real benefits from it pretty much straight away. Like I'd been feeling like I was sleeping better, sleeping a bit deeper, recovering better. When I woke up in the morning, my ankles and knees weren't as sore as they normally would be. Uh, and I just felt a bit more sort of balanced throughout the day, less ups and downs. So I felt like it was benefiting my kind of mental state as well. Mm-hmm. Um but we went back to the club and we started talking to people about this because we were really excited and passionate about what we'd sort of discovered. And the physios and doctors had said to us, look, guys, uh, we don't think you should be using this because CBD comes from a cannabis plant. And the cannabis plant uh, also is where THC comes from. And THC is a, is a banned substance in sport. So you don't want to be risking that. There's a chance you might fail a drug test. So. Yeah. Essentially, we stopped using that stuff and we went back to the market. We tried to find companies and brands that could sort of guarantee us that the products that we were using would guarantee us that we wouldn't fail a drugs test and none of them would be willing to say that. Um, So that's sort of when we we sort of put our heads together and we thought, well, why don't we try and start up our own company and brand of CBD products that people who are in the same position as us can feel comfortable using and we can use it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the likes of people that are playing professional sport and getting drug tested or working for an engineering company and maybe get drug tested as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what happened. We uh, we started up this brand, Pure Sports CBD, and we, we wanted to try and make trusted, effective products that actually work and also get tested for every single banned substance in sport so that 
athletes and people that are worried about what they put in their body know that they can trust the products we're using and get the benefits. So mm-hmm. that's how the company started up. That was a couple of years ago. And since then, it's, it's really just kind of grown arms and legs and it's grown into something that, you know, at the time when we started it, we probably had no idea that it was going to go to the, to the extent that it has. But yeah. it's been a great journey. It's been, there's been a lot of learning. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs and, you know, learning about ourselves and, you know, sort of uh, developing the business. And, you know, you, you learn a lot about what you're good at and what you're not good at. And you learn about you know, how you sort of manage that and bring people in who have got strengths that you don't necessarily have so you know i think it's it's been brilliant and we're we're really excited we've got a, a massive period over the next six months where uh we're, we're planning a lot of growth uh we're we're sort of starting to to really push forward and and become the the company that we believe we can become so it's it's exciting i need to chat a bit more about you a little bit more with you about that off, off offline because i've I've, re- I've done a bit of research on it never used the products ever before it wasn't around in my time when i was playing internationally sounds like it could so i think the fact that i I never i never used it in the sporting side when it's come out now i've 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 maybe not looked into it as much you know i've not got as many aches and pains because i'm not putting the body through as much anymore but interesting to hear you talk about the mental side because i have faced a lot of mental health challenges and you know i'd be interested to to hear more about it Uh, so i'll certainly be be tapping into your, your knowledge on that and you know I know a few friends recently that have tried a few products and people people seem to talk talk overall very highly about it but I like the fact that yours is obviously safe for for all uh, for all for all sports and um, I, I think it's something that if anybody's struggling out there or you know feels like they need something to help them with their bodies or related to their mental side of things well worth getting in touch with us, man, and, and, and having a chat. Definitely. And, you know, it's really interesting how, like, you know, Grayson and I's friendship was sort of founded off of an interest for exploring ourselves and sort of our own well-being. And we're both two people that are really interested in alternative ways of, of health, really, of well-being and sort of what we can do to sort of take back responsibility because... You know, in, in some way or another, you know, I think that um, science and, and, and medicine has been amazing in what it's sort of discovered. But, you know, I think there's an aspect to to that whole market and industry that I, there are times where you sort of have to question whether the individual's responsibility or the, the individual's best interest is actually what these sort of bigger companies have at their heart. So for us, what is it just? Uh, yeah, well, there's there's a lot of that that comes into play, and you know you see it in the in the you look over in the states, for example, you know the the opioid pandemic with people using painkillers and and how easy it has been for people to access these things to then become addicted, and you know the amount of awful awful things that have happened as a as a sort of direct impact of that has been mind blowing. So what we're really all about is questioning things and you know using natural alternatives to to sort of try and better our health and take the the responsibility back into our own hands where we can we can use products that are genuinely effective Mm -hmm. um but also good for us at the same time because i think you know being a rugby player and the the pain that you got to face is is something that you learn a lot of lessons from and you know the more that you look into the side effects of these things it really is quite eye-opening to see you know, they might help you and they make you feel better, but ultimately, 10, 15 years down the line, how are things going to be looking? And uh, and that's the question I think I've reflected on quite a lot over the last wee while. And it's, again, a reason why I think I'm so passionate about CBD because, you know, health supplements in general, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, fantastic research into, you know, for instance, fish oils, but there's not many health supplements that I've taken and I've been like, oh my God, this is really making a difference for me. I can feel this is making a difference. And CBD, yeah. one of those supplements where I was like that, it was almost like my my mind was blown that, you know, a plant that is out there that you can buy on the streets or buy in a shop can have that in, that impact on you. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that grows out there. And, you know, that led to a whole other exploration about, you know, how that actually happens. And, you know, our, our bodies have got this system that actually is very similar to, the sort of structures and molecules that are in 
cannabis plants and other plants, for example, that if we put them in our body, they can start to trigger this system that we have that has a lot to do with uh, our appetite, mood regulation, our sleep and wake cycles, um, all these sorts of really important functions in the body. So it's, this is where we're going to go. Well, listen, that's um, that's uh, very interesting to listen to, and I, I, I'll be interested to pick your brains a little bit more and maybe hear if you can recommend trying something, because I have heard across the board lots of positive things about CBD, very little negative stuff on it, um, and, and to hear you as a as a professional sportsman speaking so highly of it is, is you know, po positive things. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing that, and, and the passion's important. Sounds like you really will be making a difference to a lot of people. So listen, that brings us uh, brings us to the end. Um, I'll be curiously watching to see what's next in the in the life and the career of Adam Ash. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to say a special thank you to Mr. Rory Jackson, who brought this podcast together. Um, he was actually when it, when we finished the podcast, and I'm going to do the same thing with you. By the way, when we get offline, is I'm going to pick your brain to see if there's a couple of intros I can get. Um, but you were the first name that came to his head. And he said, I tell you, a guy would be really good to interview it. And he's, uh, you, you've certainly delivered, mate. It's been brilliant to talk to your story. I think you've had many ups, many downs, and that's what it's all about. And you talk very honestly about it, and it's been, it's been fantastic. So thank you very much, mate, for coming on. No, thank you, Kazim. It's much appreciated. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the work that you're putting out there. Uh, listen to a couple of the podcasts now, and uh, yeah, keep going with it because it's uh, some fantastic content, and I'm happy to be part of it. Some man, some man. Thanks.